are listening to Birthplace of Next, the podcast where city officials and others talk about the latest news and developments in Dayton that make it a livable, sustainable, and innovative community. I'm Andrew Estevez with the city's Office of Communications and Public Affairs, and today I'm with Meg Maloney. She is the sustainability manager for the city, and we're here to talk about an exciting new project that just got approved by the city commission on October 4th, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the project is about uh, renewable natural gas. So why don't you first, first start off like telling us like what is this project? Yes. So the city owns and operates a water reclamation facility. And as part of that process, anytime somebody flushes a toilet or puts something down the sink or showers, all of that water goes to our water reclamation facility. And as part of the process to clean that water and eventually put it back into the environment, they run it through like a series of, I guess, biological processes, you could call them. And a product of cleaning that water is a thing called sludge. And sludge produces carbon dioxide and methane, which are two of our biggest greenhouse gases. And 50% of all the city of Dayton's emissions are attributed to these gases. And so the gases are emitted and they produce this thing called biogas, which traditionally we have captured and then flared into the environment to make it less of a problem. Right, because uh, I mean, everybody hears about CO2 being like the big culprit in global warming yes. and mm-hmm. climate change, but methane is actually a much more potent yes. greenhouse gas. And you bring up a good point because we take the methane and we flare it. To, when I mean less bad, I mean we flare it to turn it into CO2 because methane is a much worse emission than carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what the number one uh, source of methane is on this planet? Cows. Cows. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They're so cute, though. I know. <laughs> So, uh, so okay, so we've covered what the new renewable natural gas is, it, but the biogas is actually created in uh, what's called an anaerobic digester, yep. and that's a fancy term for a big tank that the sludge goes into mm-hmm. where it does its fermentation absent of oxygen, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's in there churning and creating this gas, but there's no oxygen in the environment. Yep. So we get the byproduct of CO2 and methane. methane. So... Why are we doing this for the city? I mean, yeah, so I briefly mentioned it, but we in 2019 completed a greenhouse gas inventory. And that is just a fancy term to mean that we calculated all the emissions in our environment that the city of Dayton facilities are producing. And what we found is that 50% of all the city of Dayton emissions are attributed to our wastewater or our water reclamation facility, specifically this process. Mm-hmm. Right. So how is this going to be beneficial to city operations? Yes. So it's a twofold benefit. The first is that this gas is actually in high demand because you can take this gas, you can pipe it and actually inject it into our natural gas pipeline and they can use it to heat homes around the area. So not only is this a desired gas that we can sell for revenue, but also the decrease of emissions. So through this process, we are going to get a net revenue of $800,000 plus 50% of all city of Dayton emissions are going to be eliminated through the capturing of this methane gas. 50%. 50%. That's huge. Yes. So all of our trash trucks, all of our public works, heavy equipment, 
still 50% of our, our emissions mm-hmm. are coming from the wastewater treatment yes, plant. Yes, because we have a lot, you know, there's a lot of municipalities that will, that we also are, use our water reclamation facility. But I think people don't realize like, yeah, just how much water is actually coming into the facility and being, you know, processed. So in 2021, we declared a climate emergency saying, hey, we want to try and get to 2050 carbon neutrality as quickly as possible. So to do a project like this and just wipe 50% of city emissions like right away is actually pretty remarkable. Right. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, a shocking figure, really. I mean, when I first heard it, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I almost couldn't believe it. So uh, what are the benefits going to be to the community and the environment from this? Yes. So... The first, I'll start with like the immediate community and then kind of move outward to the more more regional. So first, um, CO2 and methane just uh, cause air quality to decrease. So air quality has been a big thing that's been discussed recently. And just the more things that you're, you know, flaring and putting into the environment, the more problems that you're creating or that um, the the value of air quality that's decreasing. So the immediate local thing we're going to see is an increase in our air quality. It's going to be improved. The second, I think, is kind of a impact that um, is not necessarily with this project, but will be an eventual impact, is that we are generating revenue, $800,000, to the water treatment, water reclamation facility every year. And that can go into investments in improving the overall process of how we clean our wastewater and how we put it back into the environment. So we'll see, hopefully, you know, we already do a really, really good job. I think 100% of our effluent is always at EPA standards. So we're already doing an exceptional job. But this can, we can go even further of like, how can we just better improve our processes at the water reclamation facility? So better services to ratepayers. Um, the other thing too is, um, you know, how do we get our natural gas? Well, usually out in the Appalachian region, they are fracking natural gas, which is has a lot of harmful environmental impacts like, you know, People complain a lot about the noise, the shaking of the ground, and obviously taking those fossil fuels and starting to use them, you're putting more carbon into the atmosphere. Well, while we're trying to get to, you know, renewable energy, natural gas is going to be around for a while. It's what some people call a transition fuel, meaning that we're going to be relying on natural gas for a while as we find incentives to encourage people to go to electric. So in that meantime, why don't we use the gas that we're always going to be producing at these wastewater facilities to heat homes, to be used, you know, for people's boilers in their homes? Like that is a much more sustainable option than having to frack natural gas out what out east. So yeah, and you know, you talked about the environmental impacts, not to mention that what they inject into the ground comes back up. Yeah. And then we have trouble figuring out mm-hmm. what to do with that because it's not just water that they're putting in there. There's all kinds of nasty chemicals that are yep. going down to, to help with the fracking. Yep. And then they have to eventually take that fracking fluid and inject it into places like to, you know, to get rid of it. So mm-hmm. fracking overall is just not a really sustainable practice. So while we can use, you know, something that for the rest of time, we're going to be flushing toilets, we're going to have this, you know, this um, byproduct of the water reclamation process. So we might as well start capturing it and using it for something. Right. And we really do have a pretty green operation out there at the water reclamation facility. I mean, the water that we that we discharge into the river is cleaner than the water that's already in the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that $800,000 that you were talking about, 
I mean, you know, we can put that towards other things because, like, one of the things that the plant produces is hydrogen sulfide, mm-hmm. which is that nasty smell that people associate with yes. the water reclamation facility. And, you know, maybe that can help yep. scrub some of that. We can put that money into yep. figuring out that problem because that's more of a quality of life issue than it is a, a, yeah. a climate change issue. Exactly. And that's a question that um, we did a lot of community engagement around this. People were very, very supportive of the project. And the one thing that we really wanted to kind of um, not cause any misinformation about is while this project is not directly helping the smell that's in the area, we are using that revenue to do projects in the future that are going to help eliminate some of that odor or reduce the amount of that odor. So we're excited about that. And that was something I think residents really appreciated hearing that like, yeah, we for people that do live in the area, which there's a nice natural buffer of forest kind of around the water reclamation facility. So while we don't have people living like directly adjacent to it, it's still just like, you know, on certain days people might be, be, be smelling something. And so the ability for us to invest into the plant, I think will be huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So how does this project fit into the city's emergency climate decoration? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, we, were, we wanted to hit carbon neutrality. And so by reducing 50% of our emissions, we're essentially halfway there, right? Um, and so kind of how we're approaching our climate declaration and, and trying to get to zero emissions by 2050 is we did our greenhouse gas inventory. We identified the projects that were the biggest emitters. So first is the water reclamation facility and the methane. The second is electricity usage. And then the third being solid waste. So our we're halfway there with this um, project that's hopefully going to be started. We think we're going to be able to start um, collecting the gas as early as October of 2024. And then the next step is we've also been looking at renewable energy projects to help bring our electricity emissions essentially down to zero as well. So we're kind of doing the big projects first and then eventually rolling out some of our smaller projects in waste and transportation, things like that. So this is also going to be, uh, it's going to just contribute to overall air quality, right? Yes. Yep. So improvement in overall air quality. And that's mostly like, we already live in a valley. I think uh, the Dayton region was ranked one of the worst places for allergies, worst places if you have asthma, um, because it kind of all sits here. So when you burn fossil fuels or when you drive your car on really hot and heavy days, that doesn't help overall air quality. So being able to not have to flare anything and put things into the atmosphere is just going to help provide an overall benefit to the region. Uh, that's great. So uh, how can we identify other city projects that continue reducing carbon emissions? Yeah, so I think our greenhouse gas inventory is a good was a good start for us, but something that I realized quickly working in the sustainability offices, I was like, there's a lot of projects that you could do, right? And like, how do you decide which one to start first? For a lot of the sustainability um, offices that are beginning to start in municipalities in the region, people keep asking me this question, where do I start? So essentially what we are going to start doing is a decarbonization plan. So we are working with the Miami Valley Regional Planning Commission, MVRPC, they were awarded a $1 million planning grant through the US EPA. And as part of that planning grant, they're actually going, we hired a consultant who's going to help us write a decarbonization plan to identify which projects should be a priority in reducing our emissions. And also the important thing that I wanna also kind of talk about because it's an area of, of distrust for a lot of people is like, they're like, well, these projects sound expensive. Well, we just reduced 50% of our emissions and generated revenue in the process. 
we know that there are other projects that we can do to reduce emissions, to either generate revenue or to generate savings. So with this decarbonization plan, we're not only looking at emissions reductions, but we're, we're really focusing on how to do this in a cost-effective way. How can we do this in a way that is going to be uh, reduce burden on residents? Like we're not we're going to not you know try to put any you know make them pay any more money, um, but also can yeah generate savings so that we can push more money out to our communities. That's kind of our goal through this. Right. Yeah. It's always a balancing act there. I mean, you mm -hmm. want to do the right thing, but you don't want to go bankrupt doing the right yeah. thing. And I think so. oftentimes when people are like, oh, I did this sustainability project and it cost me money. It's always surprising to me because there's so many projects out there. Like we're, again, looking at solar at our water treatment facility off of Chuck Wagner. That project, we're estimating we're going to save $250,000 a year by installing solar, which is money that, you know, we don't have to put on rate payers. It's money that we save for rate payers so that water, you know, prices don't have to go up. So um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity with solar, electric vehicles. It's the same thing. We had AES complete a study for us. We're supposed to save like $2,000 a year on costs for certain cars that we're switching to electric so there's a lot of lot of opportunity there. And I will say our sustainability office is not doing projects that are going to be more cost burdensome. We're only focusing on projects that are good for the environment and also going to generate cost savings or generate revenue. That sounds like a good plan. So what can the community do to help reduce carbon emissions? Oh, great question. I think the biggest thing that the community can do is kind of a multi-fold thing. One, that I always like to start with is we are a, a government that is run by elected officials. So if, you know, sustainability is important to you, like we need to know that as a budget priority. So every year we ask, you know, residents um, through our commission process, like what are the areas of focus for you? And sustainability is on one of those questions. So I always tell people it's good to like let the city know that you like sustainability projects or that this is an important thing for you. So I think participating in civic matters is a way to reduce your carbon emissions. The second one is through individual choices. We always encourage people to, you know, um, eat local if you can. Um, some people do like meatless Mondays if you want. Um, I personally eat meat, so I'm not saying that anyone needs to become vegetarian or anything like that. Um, but the second thing I like to encourage people to is like if you have the option to, you know, ride your bike, take public transit, those are all good ways to. Um, so individual choices do make a difference. Joining our electric aggregation program, we're saving $150 this year in our aggregation program, but also reducing emissions because it's renewable energy. So individual choices are all very, very important, and I don't want to downplay that. And then I think the last thing you can do is just uh, get involved in conversations around sustainability. We have a lot of nonprofits that are doing really awesome sustainability work. You can learn about them on our City of Dayton website. Uh, we have a sustainability page that highlights some of those organizations. Um, and you can also, I'm always open to ideas. So again, being letting the city know things that are important to you, either through the budget process or emailing me. Um, but yeah, I think being civically engaged, making individual choices, and then joining larger movements, nonprofits in the area doing this work are great ways that you can exercise maybe uh, your interest in sustainability and or, and or help reduce your emissions. So I guess one last question here would be, can other cities follow our example 
by implementing this type of a program at their wastewater reclamation facilities? Oh, yes. So we are the first city in the Midwest to be doing this, but we have already gotten so much interest from other cities. So this process is not um, unknown. So we have been doing this type of process for a long time at our landfill. So locally here, our landfills collect gases that come off the landfill and inject them into pipelines. Farms have been doing this, as you mentioned earlier, the cows. So farms have a lot of methane off um, as a byproduct that they also collect um, and inject. And then, yeah, so in addition to us doing this at a wastewater uh, water reclamation facility, we can expect to see this at other water reclamation facilities around the country. It's a very, um, it's not a difficult process. We were a little serendipitous, I say, in the fact that like we'd already had a landfill close by to our water reclamation facility. So we had an injection point. But, um, you know, with so many communities already using landfill gas and using farm gas, there's a lot of places that people can inject their water reclamation, the methane produced from their water reclamation facilities. So, um, and also, like I said, it's generating revenue. So a lot of the gas utilities are very supportive of assisting cities and helping them accomplish this goal. And if anyone listening is from a different city and wants to look into this, um, our sustainability office is more than happy to provide information on how they can also replicate this process at their water reclamation facilities. All right. You heard that. Give Meg a call. Give me a call. I'm, All right. I'm nice. <laughs> so that was my last question specific to the Renewable Natural Gas Project. But mm-hmm. as this is the uh, podcast that's called Birthplace of Next, Birthplace of Next, tell me what's next. What is next? So I already talked about our decarbonization plan is next. We're also going to be publishing um, an EV fleet plan. That's more for our internal fleet, but I think residents will be interested in that as well. We're going to be expanding public charging infrastructure. Um, those are kind of our main goals for, I would say, the next six months. Um, but we have a variety of projects that we're also working on. Uh, sustainable purchasing, so how the city purchases more sustainable products. Um, we're looking at uh, you know, protecting more of our native landscape, so trees in the city, and also um, creating like a guidebook for if people want to do like pocket prairies and things in their neighborhood. So we have a lot of exciting things coming up. And I also do help sometimes with the birthplace of next podcast by giving sustainability updates. So hopefully my next sustainability update, I can talk about some, I do have an exciting thing on the horizon that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But after November 13th, I can talk about it and uh, about all the different sustainability things that are kind of unfolding. So, Oh, it's an ongoing process. Yes. And uh, we will definitely have you back on the show. I'm teasing the listeners. So <laughs> tune in November for some more cool <laughs> sustainability updates. Absolutely. So, folks, my guest has been Meg Maloney. She is the Manager of Sustainability for the City of Dayton. Thanks for being on the podcast, Thanks Meg. Thanks for having me. I love to be here. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. Yes, absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to Birthplace of Next, a publication of the City of Dayton's Office of Communications and Public Affairs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the latest news about what's happening in Dayton. If you have questions or feedback for us, please email cityhall at daytonohio.gov.